0: Chapter Three, Part Three of *The Princess Aline* by Richard Harding Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Three, Part Three. The next day brought the reception to the Hornwalds, and Carlton entering the reading-room of the hotel on the same afternoon found miss morris and her aunt there together taking tea they both looked at him with expressions of such genuine commiseration that he stopped just as he was going to seat himself and eyed them defiantly don't tell me he exclaimed that this has fallen through too miss morris nodded her head silently carlton dropped into the chair beside them and folded his arms with a frown of grim resignation what is it he asked have they postponed the reception no miss morris said but the princess aline will not be there of course not said carlton calmly Of course not. May I ask why? I knew that she wouldn't be there, but I may possibly be allowed to express some curiosity. She turned her ankle on one of the loose stones on the Acropolis this afternoon, said miss Morris, and sprained it so badly that they had to carry her. Who carried her? Carlton demanded fiercely. "'some of her servants.' "'Of course, of course,' cried Carlton. "'That's the way it always will be. "'I was there the whole afternoon, and I didn't see her. "'I wasn't there to help her. "'It's fate, that's what it is. "'Fate! "'There's no use in my trying to fight against fate. "'Still,' he added, anxiously, with a sudden access of hope, she may be well by this evening i hardly think she will said miss morris but we will trust so the king's palace and gardens stretch along one end of the public park and are but just across the street from the hotel where the hohenwalds and the americans were staying as the hotel was the first building on the left of the square carlton could see from his windows the illuminations and the guards of honour and the carriages arriving and departing and the citizens of athens crowding the parks and peering through the iron rails into the king's garden it was a warm night and lighted grandly by a full moon that showed the acropolis in silhouettes against the sky and gave a strangely theatrical look to the yellow house fronts and red roofs of the town every window in the broad front of the palace was illuminated and through the open doors came the sound of music and one without could see rows of tall servants in the king's blue and white livery and the men of his guard in their white petticoats and black and white jackets and red caps carlton pulled a light coat over his evening dress and with an agitation he could hardly explain walked across the street and entered the palace the line of royalties had broken by the time he reached the ball-room and the not over-severe etiquette of the greek court left him free after a bow to those who still waited to receive it to move about as he pleased his most earnest desire was to learn whether or not the princess aline was present, and with that end he clutched the English adjutant as that gentleman was hurrying past him, and asked eagerly if the princess had recovered from her accident. No, said the officer, she's able to walk about, but not to stand and sit out a dinner and dance and all this sort of thing too bad wasn't it yes said carlton very bad he released his hand from the other's arm and dropped back among the men grouped about the doorway his disappointment was very keen indeed he had not known how much this meeting with the princess had meant to him until he experienced this disappointment which was succeeded by a wish to find miss morris and have her sympathize and laugh with him he became conscious as he searched with growing impatience the faces of those passing and repassing before him of how much the habit of going to miss morris for sympathy in this unlucky love affair had grown of late upon him he wondered what he would have done in his travels without her and whether he should have had the interest to carry on his pursuit had she not been there to urge him on and to mock at him when he grew faint-hearted but when he finally did discover her he stood quite still and for an instant doubted if it were she the girl he saw seemed to be a more beautiful sister of the miss morris he knew a taller fairer and more radiant personage and he feared that it was not she until he remembered that this was the first time he had ever seen her with her hair dressed high upon her head and in the more distinguished accessories of a decollete gown and train miss morris had her hand on the arm of one of the equerries who was battling good-naturedly with the crowd and trying to draw her away from the two persistent youths in diplomatic uniform who were laughing and pressing forward in close pursuit on the other side carlton approached her with a certain feeling of diffidence which was most unusual to him and asked if she were dancing mr carlton shall decide for me miss morris said dropping the equerry's arm and standing beside the american i have promised all of these gentlemen she explained to dance with them and now they want not agree as to which is to dance first "'They've wasted half of this waltz already in discussing it, and they make it much more difficult by saying that no matter how I decide, they will fight duels with the one I choose, which is most unpleasant for me.' "'Most unpleasant for the gentleman you choose, too,' suggested Carlton. "'So,' continued Miss Morris, "'I have decided to leave it to you.' well if i am to arbitrate between the powers said carlton with a glance at the three uniforms my decision is that as they insist on fighting duels in any event you had better dance with me until they have settled it between them and then the survivor can have the next dance that's a very good idea said miss morris and taking carlton's arm she bowed to the three men and drew away mr carlton said the Equerry, with a bow has added another argument in favour of maintaining standing armies and of not submitting questions to arbitration let's get out of this said carlton you don't want to dance do you let us go where it is cool he led her down the stairs and out on to the terrace they did not speak again until they had left it and were walking under the trees in the queen's garden he had noticed as they made their way through the crowd how the men and women turned to look at her and made way for her and how utterly unconscious she was of their doing so with that unconsciousness which comes from familiarity with such discrimination and carlton himself held his head a little higher with the pride and pleasure the thought gave him that he was in such friendly sympathy with so beautiful a creature he stopped before a low stone bench that stood on the edge of the path surrounded by a screen of tropical trees and guarded by a marble statue they were in deep shadow themselves but the moonlight fell on the path at their feet and through the trees on the other side of the path they could see the open terrace of the palace with the dancers moving in and out of the lighted windows the splash of a fountain came from some short distance behind them and from time to time they heard the strains of a regimental band alternating with the softer strains of a waltz played by a group of hungarian musicians for a moment neither of them spoke but sat watching the white dresses of the women, and the uniforms of the men, moving in and out among the trees, lighted by the lanterns hanging from the branches, and the white mist of the moon. "'Do you know,' said Carlton, "'I'm rather afraid of you tonight.' He paused, and watched her for a little time as she sat upright, with her hands folded on her lap. "'You are so very resplendent and queenly and altogether different,' he added. The girl moved her bare shoulders slightly and leaned back against the bench. "'The princess did not come,' she said. "'No,' Carlton answered with a sudden twinge of conscience at having forgotten that fact. "'That's one of the reasons I took you away from those men,' he explained. "'I wanted you to sympathize with me.' Miss Morris did not answer him at once. She did not seem to be in a sympathetic mood. Her manner suggested rather that she was tired and troubled." i need sympathy myself to-night she said we received a letter after dinner that brought bad news for us we must go home at once bad news exclaimed carlton with much concern from home yes from home she replied but there's nothing wrong there it's only bad news for us my sister has decided to be married in june instead of july and that cuts us out of a month on the continent that's all we shall have to leave immediately to-morrow it seems that mr Abbey is able to go away sooner than he had hoped and they are to be married on the first mr Abbey exclaimed carlton catching at the name "'But your sister isn't going to marry him, is she?' "'Miss Morris turned her head in some surprise. "'Yes, why not?' she said. "'But I say,' cried Carlton, "'I thought your aunt told me you were going to marry Abby. "'She told me so that day on the steamer "'when he came to see you off.' "'I marry him. My aunt told you—' Impossible said Miss Morris smiling. She probably said that her niece was going to marry him. She meant my sister. They had been engaged some time. Then uh, who are you going to marry? stammered Carlton. I'm not going to marry anyone, said Miss Morris. Carlton stared at her blankly in amazement. Oh, well that's most absurd he exclaimed he recognized instantly that the expression was hardly adequate but he could not readjust his mind so suddenly to the new idea and he remained looking at her with many confused memories rushing through his brain a dozen questions were on his tongue He remembered afterwards how he had noticed a servant trimming the candle in one of the orange colored lanterns, and that he had watched him as he disappeared among the palms. The silence lasted for so long a time that it had taken on a significance in itself which Carlton recognized. He pulled himself up with a short laugh. "'Well!' he remonstrated, mirthlessly. "'I don't think you've treated me very well.' "'How not treated you very well?' Miss Morris asked, settling herself more easily. She had been sitting during the pause which followed Carlton's discovery with a certain rigidity, as if she was on a strain of attention. But her tone was now as friendly as always and held its customary suggestion of amusement carlton took his tone from it although his mind was still busily occupied with incidents and words of hers that she had spoken in their past intercourse not fair in letting me think you were engaged he said i've wasted so much time "'I'm not half-civil enough to engaged girls,' he explained. "'You've been quite civil enough to us,' said Miss Morris, "'as a courier, philosopher, and friend. "'I'm very sorry we have to part company.' "'Part company!' exclaimed Carlton, in sudden alarm. "'But I say we mustn't do that.' "'But we must, you see.' said miss morris we must go back for the wedding and you will have to follow the princess aline yes of course carlton heard his own voice say i had forgotten the princess aline but he was not thinking of what he was saying nor of the princess aline he was thinking of the many hours miss morris and he had been together of the way she had looked at certain times and of how he had caught himself watching her at others how he had pictured the absent mr abbey travelling with her later over the same route and without a chaperon sitting close at her side or holding her hand and telling her just how pretty she was whenever he wished to do so and without any fear of the consequences he remembered how ready she had been to understand what he was going to say before he had finished saying it and how she had always made him show the best of himself and had caused him to leave unsaid many things that became common and unworthy when considered in the light of her judgment he recalled how impatient he had been when she was late at dinner and how cross he was throughout one whole day when she had kept her room he felt with a sudden shock of delightful fear that he had grown to depend upon her that she was the best companion he had ever known and he remembered moments when they had been alone together at the table or in some old palace or during a long walk when they had seemed to have the whole world entirely to themselves and how he had consoled himself at such times with the thought that no matter how long she might be abby's wife there had been these moments in her life which were his with which abby had nothing to do carlton turned and looked at her with strange wide-open eyes as though he saw her for the first time he felt so sure of himself and of his love for her that the happiness of it made him tremble and he thought that if he spoke she might answer him in the old friendly mocking tone of good-fellowship filled him with alarm at that moment it seemed to carlton that the most natural thing in the world for them to do would be to go back again together over the road they had come seeing everything in the new light of his love for her, and so travel on and on for ever over the world, learning to love each other more and more each succeeding day, and leaving the rest of the universe to move along without them. He leaned forward with his arm along the back of the bench, and bent his face towards hers, her hand lay at her side and his own closed over it but the shock that the touch of her fingers gave him stopped and confused the words upon his tongue he looked strangely at her and could not find the speech he needed miss morris gave his hand a firm friendly little pressure and drew her own away as if he had taken hers only in an exuberance of good feeling you have been very nice to us she said with an effort to make her tone sound kindly and approving and we-you mustn't go i can't let you go said carlton hoarsely there was no mistaking his tone or his earnestness now if you go he went on breathlessly i must go with you the girl moved restlessly she leaned forward and drew in her breath with a slight nervous tremor then she turned and faced him almost as though she were afraid of him or of herself and they sat so for an instant in silence the air seemed to have grown close and heavy and carlton saw her dimly in the silence he heard the splash of the fountain behind them and the rustling of the leaves in the night wind and the low sighing murmur of a waltz he raised his head to listen and she saw in the moonlight that he was smiling. It was as though he wished to delay any answer she might make to his last words. "'That is the waltz,' he said, still speaking in a whisper, "'that the gypsies played that night.' He stopped, and Miss Morris answered him by bending her head slowly in assent. It seemed to be an effort for her to even make that slight gesture. "'You don't remember it,' said Carlton. "'It meant nothing to you. I mean that night on the steamer, when I told you what love meant to other people. What a fool I was,' he said, with an uncertain laugh. "'Yes, I remember it,' she said last thursday night on the steamer thursday night exclaimed carlton indignantly wednesday night tuesday night how should i know what night of the week it was it was the night of my life to me that night i knew that i loved you as i had never hoped to care for any one in this world when i told you that i did not know what love meant i felt all the time that i was lying i knew that i loved you and that i could never love any one else and that i had never loved any one before and if i had thought then you could care for me your engagement or your promises would never have stopped my telling you so you said that night that i would learn to love all the better and more truly for having doubted myself so long and oh edith he cried taking both her hands and holding them close in his own i cannot let you go now i love you so don't laugh at me don't mock at me all the rest of my life depends on you and then miss morris laughed softly just as he had begged her not to do but her laughter was so full of happiness and came so gently and sweetly and spoke so truly of content that though he let go of her hands with one of his it was only that he might draw her to him until her face touched his and she felt the strength of his arm as he held her against his breast the hohenwalds occupied the suite of rooms on the first floor of the hotel with the privilege of using the broad balcony that reached out from it over the front entrance and at the time when mrs downs and edith morris and carlton drove up to the hotel from the ball the princess aline was leaning over the balcony and watching the lights go out in the upper part of the house and the moonlight as it fell on the trees and the statues in the public park below her foot was still in bandages and she was wrapped in a long cloak to keep her from the cold inside of the open windows that led out on to the balcony her sisters were taking off their ornaments and discussing the incidents of the night just over the princess aline unnoticed by those below saw carlton help mrs downs to alight from the carriage and gave his hand to another muffled figure that followed her and while mrs downs was ascending the steps and before the second muffled figure had left the shadow of the carriage and stepped into the moonlight the princess aline saw carlton draw her suddenly back and kiss her lightly on the cheek and heard a protesting gasp and saw miss morris pull her cloak over her head and run up the steps then she saw carlton shake hands with them and stand for a moment after they had disappeared gazing up at the moon and fumbling in the pockets of his coat he drew out a cigar-case and leisurely selected a cigar and with much apparent content lighted it and then with his head thrown back and his chest expanded as though he were challenging the world He strolled across the street, and disappeared among the shadows of the deserted park. The princess walked to one of the open windows, and stood there leaning against the side. "'That young Mr. Carlton, the artist,' she said to her sisters, "'is engaged to that beautiful American girl we met the other day.' "'Really?' said the elder sister i thought it was probable who told you i saw him kiss her good-night said the princess stepping into the window as they got out of their carriage just now the princess aline stood for a moment looking thoughtfully at the floor and then walked across the room to a little writing-desk she unlocked a drawer in this and took from it two slips of paper which she folded in her hand then she returned slowly across the room and stepped out again on to the balcony one of the pieces of paper held the picture carlton had drawn of her and under which he had written this is she do you wonder i travelled four thousand miles to see her and the other was the picture of carlton himself which she had cut out of the catalogue of the salon from the edge of the balcony where the princess stood she could see the glimmer of carlton's white linen and the red glow of his cigar as he strode proudly up and down the path of the public park like a sentry keeping watch She folded the pieces of paper together, and tore them slowly into tiny fragments, and let them fall through her fingers into the street below. Then she returned again to the room, and stood looking at her sisters. "'Do you know,' she said, "'I think I am a little tired of travelling so much. I want to go back to Grasse.' She put her hand to her forehead and held it there for a moment. "I think I am a little homesick," said the Princess Aline. The end. End of the Princess Aline by Richard Harding Davis, recorded by Caroline in September two thousand and twelve in Groningen in the Netherlands. Thank you for listening.